everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. And we have one of my favorite episodes today, guys. We really have what I think is what this show is all about. We talk about everything. We talk about whiskey. We talk about history. We talk about how we got into this and then we bullshit man it's it's beautiful it is one of those conversations where we cover everything and 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 we've got tim pearson on the show first and foremost from chattanooga whiskey and him and i we dive into everything we talk primus we talk whiskey we talk harry potter we talk the toadies we talk everything man if, if you want to listen to two guys having a good time talking their craft this is the episode it, it really was so fun talking to tim uh, a, a shout out to dad's drinking bourbon you guys come up it's it's really just a phenomenal talk i had fun with tim him and i we we talked for two hours buckle up sonny jim because we go everywhere this is as much fun as I've had since Stolen Wolf, and that's not too long ago. So just to set the parameters for what you're dealing with, this is one of those episodes where we just have a good time. So strap in, get ready. It's a solid, solid conversation. Uh, Tim Pearson, Chattanooga Whiskey. It's one of those talks where you learn something, you're able to take what you learn and apply it to something, go buy the whiskey. That's what I learned. I'm now a Chattanooga fan. I'm a Chattanooga rye. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. And get ready because it's here right now. We're not going to do anything else up top. I want you guys to hear this. It is Tim Pearson, Chattanooga Whiskey, the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. We're opening the door. We're walking through it. Let's get this show started right now. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, excited to close out the year. We're, uh, we've, we've started our 2021 planning. Nice. And, um, you know, this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, historically a happy time of the year and it's, it's still, still pretty happy. You know, we've, uh, we've had a good year and everybody in my family and, and on our team is, um, you know, is healthy. And so, uh, you know, obviously I'm hoping that 2021 is a lot more normal than 2020, but, um, but we are, we're fortunate, so we're we're excited that we had a good year. That's good. It sounds like you guys have had uh, a few good years. We have. We've been we've been working hard, and um, and I guess I probably wouldn't go. I wouldn't say that it's you know paid off because I don't know that there's ever uh, an ever an end in sight. But uh, we are you know we're doing what we want to be doing. We're growing the way we want to be growing. Um, and we're pretty specific about that. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're happy with our progress. Well, and I think that's key too, that you're doing what you want to do with it as you grow. Uh, and also, of course, it's great that everybody has stayed healthy this year. Uh, we have been fortunate with that as well. I'm talking to a lot of people that have gone through it once or some, uh, multiple people nobody's gone through it twice but multiple folks that have gone through it at least once and it just it sounds awful yeah yeah we've 
you know, we, I definitely know a handful of people. Uh, our team, so we have a team of 30, and we've been really fortunate. Uh, you know, since the beginning, we've only had two that have tested positive. Oh, wow. That's and uh, so we've, we've, yeah, we feel really, you know, statistically, we feel like we're on the, the good side. Uh, but, um, you know, we've also, you know, we've also taken it seriously. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we're, we have an oper- a distilling operation that we have to, you know, maintain and protect. Of course. And then, and then we have a, a, you know, an experience, a tourism operation that uh, where we're, you know, we have people that are kind of on the front lines and they're, you know, meeting strangers every single day. So, uh, you know, so we've taken all the necessary precautions uh, with, with PPE and according to CDC guidelines. And, uh, and I think that's why we've been pretty fortunate. So. It's been hard. I've, I've been struggling with that this morning myself. I am uh, scheduled to go out of town this weekend for shows. And, you know, just like I'm sure it has your tourism industry or business, uh, it has killed comedy this year. Uh, I've been on the road for years and years. And now after this year, I've probably not spent as many consecutive weekends at home as I have this year. And I took this gig back in August when things were looking a little better, you know, and uh, now this weekend's coming up and I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, bring your own microphone. Uh, it, It sucks because similar to the whiskey game, it's people facing. Like the yeah. people are your business and people yeah. enjoying what you do is your business. So I'm going to go out of my way to avoid them this weekend, which is just yeah. so surreal to me. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, I really hope that, uh, you know, this vaccine takes place and it does what it's, uh, that we're all hoping it'll do. And I hope you get back out on the road again soon. Uh, you and my wife, both, I believe <laughs> you were both in the same uh, thought process when, uh, get him the hell out of the house. My wife uh, just wants her independence back by sending our kids back to school. Holy so they've been, in, they've been in virtual since March. And we had the option of sending them back, but we decided not to. We had the option of virtual or in school. We decided virtual. So she's been homeschooling for you know nearly a year. And it's, it's arguably one of the hardest things that uh, we've ever gone through. So which is... I don't know what that's saying about us, but no, I think I completely agree. Uh, The one thing I have learned about myself in this entire thing is that I am not a teacher, right? I have officially learned uh, that I hate teaching children. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I've been doing it and I've been doing it with a smile on my face and they have no idea uh, how much (laughs) it hurts. But I, I think your sympathy for the teacher uh, has been stretched. Uh, uh, you, you now, like beforehand, I always, you know, knew that teachers were important, but I knew that they were important in the sense that everybody knows they're important. This past year, it's really been like, holy shit, these guys deserve so much more money than they're getting and so yep. much more esteem than they receive. We have had that conversation quite a few times in this house. That's for sure. I mean, when, when uh, my wife and I got married, We've been married for almost 16 years and uh, we were talking about, you know, we, we, we said you know, we wanted two kids. We didn't want four kids. We didn't want five kids. Uh, we, you know, we, we wanted to send our kids to school. We didn't want to homeschool. I mean, you know, and God bless the families that, that uh, have the patience to do that. Um, but we are, uh, you know, we kind of, 
decided our uh, what we wanted our path to be. Of course, it always it doesn't always work out that way. But man, when you're when you're forced to uh, to homeschool after all these years, uh, it's hard. It's really really hard. We so um, yep. We have a lot of respect for our teachers. We hope they get paid more. And uh, please take our kids back. Please, please <laughs> uh, uh, make the vaccine airborne and we can just all <laughs> inhale at the same time. Just take a big hit out of a COVID bong and then the next day we can get this thing started again. I don't know if it's working or not, but uh, so for the, you know, the times that I do have interaction with people, which I try to limit, but the times that I do, um, because, you know, it's for me, it's impossible to, uh, to, com- to, I can't, I just can't lock myself in a, in a room for a year. So I, uh, you know, when I come home, I have a, a couple of sips of our 111 proof and I, I have no idea, but it's got to kill something. I mean, it has to kill something. So uh, I'll be, I'm, I'll take my chances. That's been my logic as well. I, I, I figure uh, there's got to be some sort of internal cleansing happening. Uh, the sheer amount that I've consumed since this thing started, I, I could probably, I know I'm flammable. I definitely know that my blood is flammable at this point. And if that's the case, if it's at least 110 proof, it's got to kill something. It's killing something for sure. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like our odds. <laughs> yes. I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, with the, with the school, I, I think, uh, did you guys go through like a Lord of the Flies period where they were as good as they could be for as long as they were able to? And then there was just like a sheer breakdown where, nope, we are our own entity now. There are two states in this house. There is a state of children and a state of adults. I'd say like 24 hours, 48 <laughs> hours, something like that. <laughs> it was not long. It was not long. We, uh, I would say the first like week or two. So my wife, she, she does an amazing job of planning and organizing. And uh, so she's, she's pretty type A in that regard. Right. And so, I mean, she, you know, when we were kids, remember the school carts they would push in and you could, you know, you had all your different types of pencils. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she, she organized a a legit school cart, like rolled it up to the kitchen table. This is where the kids' laptops are going to (laughs) be. This is the, here's their school cart. And, uh, you know, uh, and it, it didn't take but a few days for, you know, all of the supplies to be scattered all, all throughout the house, you know, everything starts at the kitchen table and then it ends up, you know, uh, everywhere and you're stepping on the laptops and, you know, dogs are eating so, crayons. The, yeah. The dogs are eating crayons. So anyways, it was, uh, it, I would say the, the realization of the nightmare was pretty early on. Oh yeah. And then, and then it's kind of been a constant, um, adjustment, uh, since then. And, you know, just, and the hardest thing is, is, you know, realizing the progress because, if you don't feel the progress that you want to feel, then you feel guilt. You know, you yeah. feel like you're not good enough for your kids. You're not doing the right thing for your kids. And I think that's probably, that's got to be so much of our country's anxiety right now um, is that we just don't feel like we're good enough and we're, that we're doing the right thing and we don't really know what to do. And so, you know, I think it's been a, a true test of patience and um, and grace 
And, uh, and I, I, while it's been hard as hell, I really do believe that in a year or two, we'll look back and appreciate what we've been through. It's probably the most time any of us have spent with our families in ages. I mean, it forced us to, I mean, we weren't able to go to work. We were working from home. So it forced us to really, I would love to see the birth rate and the divorce rate of 2020. (laughs) It's probably going to be even kill. Yeah. Good and not good. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's definitely been, I've talked to some friends. uh, One, one cool part is uh, zoom has really allowed you to connect with people that you did not maybe hadn't seen in 20 years. And uh, some of the conversations I've had with just old friends and road dogs who have also been home with their significant others for the first time in maybe 15 years. uh, I've had more comics tell me that like, <laughs> just just there's no words for it they just look scared uh, you'd be like how's it going how's uh how's the missus and they just yeah you know i i haven't caught up with a lot of friends on zoom i mean i never would have imagined how much you know that i would have spent this much time um talking about chattanooga whiskey and doing my job <laughs> on zoom uh i legitimately probably three nights a week i'm sitting on my front porch from 9 p.m to 10 p.m uh telling our story uh, we you know doing tastings with bourbon clubs all across the country and uh and honestly it's been one of the coolest marketing tools because i still feel the connection i still feel like like talking to you you know i i don't feel like it's all that different than sitting in a room and talking no. to each other. And, uh, and so being able to connect with people over our brand and our whiskey and, um, and uh, just relate to so many people that honestly, I, I never would have related uh, with, you know, I mean, I, I've, it's been, it's, hun- it's hundreds. I've probably done over a hundred zooms with an average of, you know, call it like, you know, I mean, obviously they're one-on-ones, but then as, but upwards of, 50, 60 people on a Zoom, and there's hundreds of people that uh, that I've been able to connect with and do Q&A with that I wouldn't have done if it weren't for COVID and forcing the Zoom thing. So I'm actually uh, really happy with this aspect of it. Well, because it's similar industries, like you guys spread the word via festivals and independent circuits, the same as comedy has festivals. And that's how you attract a new audience is getting out into different markets. So by you guys, it's a little more successful, I think, for the whiskey business, just because you can talk and tell your story of Chattanooga. And it is as compelling as it would be if we were in person, where I've learned the Zoom comedy is... It's it's I'm not going to say it's bad because then people will stop asking me to do it, but it's definitely not the same as yeah. real life crowd interaction. Yeah, I mean, you thrive off that energy, right? Oh, so. man, that that vibe that you get from an electric crowd. It, it's uh, it's there's nothing like it. You can't replicate it. Uh, yeah, I, I was we were talking about that with just sports and golf, even just golf. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Masters, uh, I knew somebody that went and it, it was like it just was not the same, you know, and you had somebody, you know, Dustin Johnson won by, I can't, I can't remember how many strokes, but you know, if you, it, it, that probably wouldn't have happened if you had had the energy around uh, the competition. So. Well, it's the same with all the ratings, every sporting event, every major sporting events ratings have been just the lowest they've ever been because there's no, 
it's not the same when you see cardboard cutouts or LED screens with fans in the background. It, it feels like you're watching fantasy uh, league when you watch the live right now. Nothing would be worse than doing stand-up comedy in front of cardboard cutouts. Oh my God. I've actually, uh, one of the first clubs that I was ever a part of, it was in North Carolina and the uh, owner was a previous set dresser for the movies and they did have, uh, she was, I think the movie was Whoopi Goldberg's Eddie and to fill the stadium or the, or the, the, the basketball court of uh, the Eddie shoots, they would have cardboard cutouts of the same guy like a thousand times. So <laughs> the back of this club, like you'd walk up the steps and it was just cardboard cutout of this guy. So I, I've, I've actually almost performed in front of a group of cardboard people. <laughs> It's just there was also luckily yeah. a real crowd in front of the cardboard people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, man, better you than, than me. I could never do it. So I, Rick Flair's got a quote that I like. If you can make 14 people feel like they're 14,000, you're doing your job right. And that stand up right there. If you can make a small crowd of people, uh, I had a phenomenal show a couple of weeks ago. It was only 25 folks. And those 25 people felt like they were 2,500. You know what I mean? Just I saw the um, uh, Kevin Hart in his home. Yeah. What'd you think uh, of that? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, uh, I, I liked it. It was entertaining. I have a, man, it just would be so hard to sit in a room with people that are laughing with face masks on, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the expression is everything, right? And so, I don't know. I, I was, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely weird. I, I think that had to have been a contract thing, right? Like you have to put out a special in 2020, and it was getting to the end of 2020, and he wasn't able to get back out on the road. So it yeah. was let's convert my living room into a thing. But you're yeah. absolutely right because like somebody could have awful eyes. Like they yeah. could be having a wonderful time, but they're sitting there and yeah. their eyes just look mad, but their face is laughing. And you'd never know because of the freaking smiley face mask yeah. they've got on. Yeah, I think a room of 25 without face masks would be really fun. I think a room of 25 with face masks, I think I'd almost rather the stadium with, you know, 10,000 people in it. Right, right. It's uh, or an outdoor show. I've done a lot of outdoor shows where yeah. you're competing with fire trucks. But that's that's actually not that bad. Uh, the worst, I think, was Hurricane Sandy had just destroyed New York and I was booked for a show in Brooklyn. And as soon as I get there, the guy comes if, if the if the guy that booked you wants to see you as soon as you get to the show, that's never a good sign. They, that, that's never like uh, everything's fine. Yeah. All of the equipment had been left outdoors. Oh, my God. So uh, we were under the BQE and doing a show without microphones. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> that's when I learned I was a loud some bitch. Let me tell you. <laughs> I've been, I've been accused of being loud myself sometimes. So. <laughs> well, I, I can't speak for loud, but I definitely know you're busy. Like you guys just seem to be always doing something like even from uh, since the beginning, you've not been able to sit still at Chattanooga. Yeah, it's been an exciting decade. Um, so this this coming October will be uh, ten years since uh, my you know co-founder and I started the company. You like and, that segue? Uh, you like how we just segued into yeah, oh, yeah. it right there? I love it. That was smooth. <laughs> it's, it's like almost like you know what you're doing. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Hey, same here. We're in the same boat. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, and that was that's speaking of segue, I mean, not and not knowing what we're doing, uh, getting into the business, we didn't know what we were doing. It was really about uh, discovering the history, wanting to bring it back to Chattanooga and oh. and posting it on Facebook. Like that was, you know, that that was our first move. You know, what do we do? We post it on Facebook. And uh, and then, you know, then people start asking about it. You realize that, you know, your idea has merit. And and then you just a couple of guys start pursuing it. And, you know, the we I guess you could say that we uh, we started as storytellers because it was about, you know, the story we wanted to tell. And it was about the story on a bottle of whiskey. And that's what whiskey is uh, a lot of the time. Right. So. So um, commissioned a, a, you know, a friend of mine who was a graphic designer, a local uh, you know, artist in town, and he did the art, the initial artwork, and um, that kind of told the story of you know, Chattanooga pre-prohibition. And, Which is a wonderful uh, history. Like, like a buddy of mine almost demanded that we reach out to have you guys on the show. He said it was just the whiskey was so damn good. Uh, but then as I started doing research, the the history of the Chattanooga area and its ties to whiskey in the country, it, it, it's vast. Like it goes all the way back and it, every turn uh, of the whiskey evolution, it's been there for, for better or worse. Uh, somehow you guys got a 10 year head start on prohibition, which that's, that's uh, you above and beyond on, on, on Tennessee's part right there, get a head start yeah the uh the history is significant from 1866 to 1915 uh when you look at the you know what's documented online uh, all the distilleries the last distillery shut down in 1915 so it was pretty cool to uh, to to start our our mission in 2011 but the the way everything played out didn't allow us to build our distillery until 2015. Right, right. So it, we we have a saying making up for uh, for prohibition. Um, so it was exact for you know for we say making up for 100 years of prohibition because it was exactly 100 years from 1915 to 2015. But yes, prior to 1915, Chattanooga had more than you know 30 distilleries documented downtown, more than 90 uh, liquor wholesalers documented downtown. There were uh, there were less than thirty thousand people that lived in Chattanooga, um, even though it was booming industrially and with the choo choo around you know the turn of the twentieth century, um, it was uh, it was significant in terms of the size of the city and and how much they put out. One of the largest, I would say, you know, liquor producing selling you know uh, towns in America. So that that's what inspired us. So was that because they were the um, they were almost a hub, like they had the railroad and they were able to get the whiskey out? Is is that why they were such big producers? I think the railroad w- had something to do with the boom of distilleries uh, at the twentieth century. But I think prior to that, I think it was more about um, I think it was more about the landscape and the river and you know and. Uh, that's that's I think that's why Kentucky and Tennessee were so far ahead of everybody else. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. so you you get to prohibition and and why did they decide to do it 10 years before everybody else? So so prohibition 
started in every state at different times. Um, it wasn't, it was the, the Volstead Act that, and uh, you know, the, the 18th Amendment, the ratification of the 18th Amendment that it, that, you know, implemented it nationwide in 1920. But, um, but because of the temperance movement that eventually became the anti-saloon league, that, that started in the, you know, in the mid 1800s. Right, right. So you actually have states that that started their prohibitions in the mid 1800s. Like I think Maine really? was, yeah, I think Maine was in the, in the mid 1800s. And then Kansas was in the 1800s. There were, so, and it wasn't necessarily like, uh, it wasn't, and they weren't statewide prohibitions necessarily. Like in Tennessee, for example, Tennessee started um, kind of county by county, and it was based on population. It was like called the Four Mile Law or something like that. It was based on populations that initially it was populations under two thousand, then it was populations under five thousand. But the majority of the state of Tennessee ended up um, prohibiting alcohol, uh, the consumption and production of alcohol. Uh, and with, with exception of, I think Chattanooga, Nashville, Memphis, and maybe, you know, one other, you know, city or County. And well, I think they were common misconception were, too. People think that it started, uh, all at once. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think a lot of people know that it goes, uh, state by state until the federal. It didn't end all at once either. Really? I mean, well, it, you can uh, see it, that. It, uh, even. It didn't, yeah. Yeah. It didn't end in 1933. I mean, I think it was, uh. So the 21st Amendment was passed December 5th, um, but there were many states that didn't lift their restrictions. Uh, Tennessee didn't lift its restrictions, I think, until 1939. Well, and then your county didn't allow production until you guys got involved, right? Yeah, so a lot of the counties, so there's 95 counties in Tennessee, and many of them just didn't touch it, didn't touch that law until we came along. Uh, in 2009, there was a bill in Tennessee that was the initial craft distilling bill, and uh, that opened up a few counties, uh, namely Nashville mm-hmm. and Sevierville, which is you know the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge yep, area, yep. and um, and that was kind of the beginning since prohibition, but that bill allowed. Uh, allowed the um, the each of the legislators to uh, really was a matter of, of who wanted to opt in. So you had a lot of guys that just didn't opt in, and it made it more difficult in 2013 because in 2013, when with our bill, um, it was it was more clearly stated that if uh, there was liquor by the drink and package retail sales in any municipality that you could also get a license to distill in that municipality. Okay. Which, you know, which was a statewide thing versus really allowing each municipality to just have an option, have like any of their legislators to have an option. And so when it, so particularly in Chattanooga, we, our legislator that fought it or that didn't opt in in 2009 was hardcore against it and fought it and in how come? 2013. Why, why was because, he so against it? Well, you know, because he was, 
he was a, you know, a teetotaler and he, um, and he felt like it was going to increase crime and it was going to increase, you know, uh, it was going to increase death rate. So all of the things that they've been propaganda pushing since the initial prohibition. Right, exactly. And if you read about the initial prohibition, it didn't work very well. No, no. <laughs> All the illegal act, the illegal activity was got out of control. So, anyways, that's why. And uh, so we ended up having a fight on our hands, and it made it made our bill more challenging. But our bill was when it went through. I would say it was significantly more successful than the two thousand and nine bill. Well, uh, obviously, the two thousand and nine bill started paving the way, and so right. we so we're very grateful for it. But it wasn't until 2013 that the distillery boom in Tennessee started happening after the passage of the Whiskey Bill. Well, and you guys also had the grassroots on your side of social media and the people being behind you. Uh, It's funny. We're still untangling the Christmas lights of prohibition. I was talking to a distiller in Texas last week and just the, 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 the fact that even Kentucky was still uh, unable to serve mixed drinks in restaurants uh, five years ago is, is it speaks volumes to just how intertangled prohibition was with the longstanding laws of the country. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just didn't have a lot of um, you didn't have legislators that were wanting to pursue it because Mm -hmm. you didn't necessarily have a, a, you know, a business that wanted to pursue it. Totally. And that's really where craft beer, which the craft beer boom began, you know, call it 20 years ahead of the craft whiskey boom or more. And so that's really where it started. And then the, the and then of course the craft whiskey boom coming, coming along, you know, now and over the last, you know, whatever, 10 years or so. Um, now you have so many, so many entrepreneurs that, uh, or, you know, people that are just are leaving their jobs because they, they are tired of, of sitting in their office or whatnot. And they see an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, work with their hands. Yeah. Work with their hands. And so you've got a lot of that happening. Of course, right now I would say our country is encourage our country and our, our world, but definitely the United States has been encouraging entrepreneurship more than ever. Um, uh, particularly coming out of the recession, right? Yep. So, and that was that was the recession gave us a really nice platform to convince our local legislators uh, that you know these jobs matter, these local jobs matter, and uh, and maybe otherwise we wouldn't have been as successful. I know for North Carolina, uh, and that makes that makes perfect sense, especially coming out of 2008 when so many people were displaced from the recession. Uh, we lost tobacco whenever, as things shift, you know, something that doctors prescribe a year ago is outlawed this year, and uh, they're bringing weed back when it was gotten, when they got rid of it 200 years ago or whatever. It's all uh, uh, circular when it comes to what we're going to like and dislike today or tomorrow. Um, but when North Carolina got rid of the tobacco, or, or not all of it, but, you know, we lost a large share of the crops, uh, it searched for years and years to find that next cash crop. And wine wasn't, it was okay, but it wasn't really doing it. And it wasn't until, like you said, the craft beer boom, where we realized that, wow, 
our water's really good in North Carolina and that makes the beer really good. And I imagine the same for Tennessee and Kentucky because you guys have had the natural resources for all of this since the beginning. I think natural resources, again, I think they played a big part in uh, the start of it back in, you know, well, it really dates back before before even the mid-1800s, but at least the documented, uh, what's been documented. Um, but now, um, I mean, it's still, it's a cool part. Well, I would say now history plays a larger part. The natural resources themselves do also play a role, but not nearly as significant due to modern day technology. So right. uh, reverse osmosis systems to produce high quality water or the, the, the right kind of water and the mineral, you know, being able to, you know, add minerals back. And that's, uh, that's, that's all common practice from the small guys to the big guys. So, you know, claiming that, uh, that you, you know, sit on a limestone bed is really more, you know, it's more part of your history than it is a part of your modern day, uh, you know, production. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It really is. Water is clean. Clean water is important. Of course. Um, but, uh, we, and, and yes, we take it for granted, but because of modern technology, uh, clean water is readily available. So, right. um, so really it's, it's more about, you know, it's, it's, you got to make sure you have that, but it's more about what happens after that. Most definitely. Well, uh, I, I think we're also getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Um, how did you get into it? Like, like the history of Chattanooga is storied, but what were you doing before you got to the, the whiskey business? Like what brought you to it? I was working for my dad he, uh, owns a manufacturing company, a small, uh, display manufacturing company in North Georgia. And so, you know, Grew up with a, uh, you know, with a dad as an entrepreneur and in small business. So definitely, uh, you know, have a natural passion for that. Uh, I was working for him out of college. I, you know, went to Auburn University, met my wife there, moved back to Chattanooga right after we graduated in 2000. And I was born and raised in Chattanooga and then, came, and then went to college and came back in 2000, uh, 2005 and uh, went to work for my dad, worked there for eight years. Um, you know, uh, definitely, uh, appreciate manufacturing, uh, and in the ins and outs of that and thought that it was cool that I, you know, that there was an opportunity for me to bring historic manufacturing back to downtown mm -hmm. because downtown has been revitalizing for quite a while now since the uh, early nineties. And I, I love the swing that we've seen that everybody went to bigger cities 50 years ago and, and, and probably sooner than that. And post there too but i love the reemergence of the not small town but the small town slash city landscape that's been happening over the past 15 years yeah. it's really great to see because so many cities and towns were left uh kind of to languish after the industrial uh split uh with you know places moving across uh, overseas and and down south and up north and all that good stuff yeah but the yeah. revitalization comes from small distillers and craft distillers and and people like yourself who are remaking main street yeah i would it's uh chattanooga especially especially now especially because of the pandemic people are uh, are looking at towns like chattanooga even more than they did before the pandemic but um but yes i i would say that Breweries and distilleries are a uh, a key, uh, you know, element of revital revitalizing downtowns, 
Um, but manufacturing, especially larger manufacturing, can be challenging to move downtown. It was all these down, downtowns, they all thrived on manufacturing 100 years ago. Totally. And, 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 then, and then all of the manufacturing, you know, uh, for the most part, left these downtown areas. So, you know, the opportunity to bring something, some historical manufacturing back to a town that has a really cool history um, for distilling and the Civil War and a beautiful landscape and has, has been in the middle of a, you know, a uh, multi-decade revitalization uh, was really exciting to me. And it wasn't a passion for distilling uh, that was was the driver behind that. It was the history of distilling that was discovered mixed with the passion for, you know, doing something that hasn't been done before since before Prohibition in downtown Chattanooga. It was that combination that uh, got my co-founder and I really excited to to move on this. And then telling my dad that I was leaving the family business. Well, that's a that's a whole nother story. But he was he was very cool about it. I I hear you right there. Uh, my my family, I would have been the third generation of a family business as well. And sometimes you just have to follow your passions and what you want to do. Yep. yep. So you've now you've had that the, you the idea the history has brought you to wanting to start Chattanooga. Uh, you've obviously got the hurdles the 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 town law hurdles. So after. You spend years, and I love what was the campaign, the whiskey to the people the, movement. The, the, the yeah, so it was vote whiskey was the campaign, and then the vote whiskey campaign became the whiskey, you know, whiskey to the people campaign. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, they would have been there was no way they could have not given you guys the ability to distill with that many people behind you. It, it would have just, it would have happened eventually, no matter how long they prolonged it, and they would have looked bad right. in that interim. Yeah, whiskey to the people is—it's uh, all about the fact that it was through the power of our community, the power of the people that brought whiskey back to Chattanooga for the first time in a hundred years, and and that's really become our mission statement, and uh, and how we approach. Um, it's it's a it's a large part of how we approach uh, all of our products that we develop and the price points, and you know people, uh, you know, oftentimes are kind of amazed that when they learn about everything that we put into our process that we offer our products at such a competitive price point. And, uh, and that's, you know, the reason we do it is because of whiskey to the people. So that's awesome. And plus while you're fighting the legal fight, that gives you the time that a lot of companies don't have, which is to build an infrastructure while you're, you're getting ready for whatever happens legality uh, and uh, legal wise. Yeah, the well, the, you know, it was really um, a multi-step process. We we hadn't, so we were sourcing from Lawrenceburg Distillers, which became okay. MG, MGP, which is a very popular, um, very popular uh, contract manufacturer, and uh, and so we were sourcing from them and and telling our story, um, and then putting together the vote whiskey campaign and getting out there and lobbying, having conversations one-on-one. We didn't expect it to take nearly two years to change the laws, uh, but that's what ended up happening. We couldn't really raise money until that was done. So while we were able to begin to build a brand through, you know, build the Chattanooga whiskey brand by sourcing from Indiana, 
we didn't make any, I mean, we couldn't make any progress on building actual infrastructure in downtown Chattanooga until those laws were passed. Oh, wow. So it wasn't until 2013 that you guys were actually able to get started. Yeah, we raised capital in 2013. Um, and then co-founder, my co-founder exited in shortly thereafter. Uh, so we kind of had, we, it was that, that changed some, uh, some of the dynamics. So we had to, hit the reset. we had to hit the reset button. Uh, it was just differences. It just seems so, like you put all that time into the fight. Uh, now is the time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Right. I wish it would have worked out that way. Unfortunately, it didn't. So, uh, uh, I'll let, you know, people, I, are people, right. Exactly. So we, uh, so then we kind of had to hit a reset button and that's when we decided to search for a distiller and build something smaller. And it kind of ended up that, that ended up forcing us into a direction that was arguably the most critical part of Chattanooga whiskey's path. Uh, was building something, instead of going after the big thing, building something smaller, hiring the right guy, and uh, and really, you know, uh, marrying up our philosophies um, and building a new strategy. And, and, and the smaller distillery allowed us to, to explore in ways that we wouldn't have been able to explore. I mean, if, if for anything else, just financially, we wouldn't have been able to explore the way that we did from 2015 until 2017. And even now, actually, we've never stopped exploring at the experimental distillery. But if it weren't for this new path and, and, and Grant McCracken, our head distiller coming on, building the experimental distillery, we wouldn't have what we call as our own signature style of Tennessee whiskey, which is called Tennessee high malt. Right. And, uh, and you guys are the and, only ones yeah. that do the high malt, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, we trademarked it. And, and uh, that was... Uh, that was Grant bringing his craft beer uh, background into it and specialty malts into it and long cold fermentations and different yeasts and all of those things. And again, I was, it's just, it's, it's crazy to look back and go, man, if we hadn't have built the experimental distillery and we hadn't have hired Grant, there was a good chance that we would have just been knocking off somebody else's recipe. And, uh, and after spending all those years changing those laws, you wanted it to be your to, own. Yeah, we needed it to be our own. We were kind of born trailblazers and, you know, we don't, once, you know, you, once a trailblazer, you always want to be a trailblazer. So we, uh, so that gave us the opportunity to do it and really explore and um, set us on a path to a, a path of, uh, you know, success and something that we can truly call our own. And within a world, as you know, a lot of noise, a lot of, a lot of competition, a lot of bourbon out there. It, it's, it's crazy how many new brands have emerged over the past, 20 years and, yeah, and you guys now I thought it was a 10 year process. So you weren't able to do anything before 2013. You've done all of this in seven years. Yeah. Well, um, that's so, wild. So really, really all of this. And well, I mean, I, when I say all of this, I, 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 I packaged the changing laws in, right. So it's right. really been, it's really been 10 years, but in terms of developing charity whiskey, 91, Chattanooga Whiskey 111 and 99 Rye are three main products on the shelf. Um, and then, of course, we release experimentals all the time. But in terms of developing that, uh, that did not start until March of 2015. 
So it's really been five years. That's insane. And now this year, you guys, uh, one of the best 20 whiskeys of 2020, like all of the accolades that you're getting for a, a relatively young juice. Th- that is impressive. Yeah, I appreciate it. We, uh, we, so we look at aging as a very important element, but only one element. Right. And there's, then there's a lot. Well, well, um, walk so, me through that. Walk me through the high malt Tennessee whiskey. Like uh, uh, I, I've tried to wrap my brain around it on my own, uh, but I, then I just start drinking the whiskey and whatever I was thinking <laughs> about before that goes away. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, at its foundation, it is high in specialty malt. Um, in fact, a minimum of 25%. And we have some recipes all the way up upwards of a hundred percent. So the utilization of specialty malts uh, was, um, was, well, I'll call it underutilized or just, you know, uh, not, um, practiced in bourbon or really much of American whiskey, uh, prior to, I guess, us coming along. And, and would you um, and so, credit that to the partnership between you and Grant and, and how did he get involved? Uh, oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it, it is, I would, I would give a hundred percent of the credit to Grant. Um, Grant was at a you know prominent brewery um, up in the Northeast, one of the most you know successful prominent craft breweries in the in the world. And he was he-, he was a head brewer and he was head of research and development. So when it came to recipe development and working with different specialty malts and working with different barrel finishes and different yeasts and uh, really you know understanding fermentation um, and m- not just working with specialty malts, but understanding malting as well, the malting process, you know, he was a master at that. And we discovered him through a connection with New Riff out of Newport, Kentucky. Um, Their head brewer, Brian and Grant worked together at this brewery. And Brian introduced us to Grant. And so uh, that's how we met Grant. Uh, Grant was, um, I think he was really excited about how we were coming out of changing laws. He saw the vision of what we could build in Southeast Tennessee. Um, he, he and his wife visited Chattanooga. Uh, they loved it. And there were a lot of things that drew him. I think the thing that probably drew him the most is that he saw an opportunity to have an impact on an industry uh, like, you know, whiskey, which is a pretty big industry, especially coming out of Tennessee. Right. And, and what's awesome is, is I think all of that is, is coming to fruition and, uh, and when he came on board, he said, I think we should utilize specialty malts. I think we should, you know, there's a lot of different techniques, you know, long, cold fermentations. We can maximize the flavor and the richness from the recipe and the, the yeast and the fermentation to make a more complex, richer flavor uh, bourbon whiskey um, while still making a bourbon whiskey, while it's still being majority of corn, utilizing, you know, new American white oak barrels, all of those things. Um, so we started, you know, in, in, uh, we started implementing all those techniques. And every week we were producing a different recipe. We got two years down the road and by from 2015 to 2017, we had over 100 barrels, over you know, 100 different recipes, utilizing over 100 different specialty malts utilizing over 30 different yeasts and we and all of a sudden you look back and you go holy shit like we just i don't think anybody's ever done this before i love it mad scientist yeah and then we and then when we built the riverfront distillery we had all of those recipes to choose from and that and that was the beauty of that process 
So barrel number 91 ended up being our favorite uh, recipe to scale up as our flagship. And, uh, and the reason that we love barrel 91 is because we felt like it spoke to the traditional bourbon lovers, but accomplished what we wanted the specialty malts to accomplish and all those other things that, that we did uh, well, to accomplish. So again, age, you know, we knew that we would be able, we were confident we'd be able to come out with a straight bourbon whiskey that was on the younger side, mm-hmm. you know, greater than two years is what it has to be, but you know, on that, on that younger side. And, uh, and it was because of all of the other things that we put into the process. So, you know, the, 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 the obviously the mash bill, um, which our 91-111 mash bill is, uh, you know, it's non-GMO yellow corn, uh, malted rye, caramel malted barley, and honey malted barley. And then we have a bunch of other recipes, but that's our flagship recipe that makes 91-111. Our long cold fermentations, our distilling at a lower proof, barrel entry at a lower proof, utilization of four chars and three chars with a toast, um, uh, a Solera barrel finish. I mean, there are so many things that we do uh, through the process where while age really matters, it is only one element of many, many things that create a very dynamic bourbon whiskey. Right. And you guys do something special on the bottle. I like as well. Uh, I wish more people would do this. Just, I love you've put your mash bill, you've put your cooperage, you've put your finish, you've put the age, you put the batch size, you put the filtration. I feel like you guys have absolutely nothing to hide. Like you're putting what you're putting out there and you're putting it out there with a hundred percent confidence that we have done the research. We know what we're doing, what we're doing. This is some good stuff that you guys are going to enjoy. We're great at pretending. (laughs) Aren't we We, all? Aren't we all? we We don't, we don't have anything to hide. Um, and we're not free of mistakes either. Um, We've learned some things along the way. I mean, we've, at one point, you know, we were really excited about working with malted corn and malted corn creates a very musty uh, smell. And, you know, thank God we didn't go down that path very far, <laughs> but, but there was a point at which we could have. And, uh, but because of our exploration, it allowed us to choose other directions. Right. And, um, but there's uh, so we definitely have learned some things along the way a lot of things and not free of mistakes. However, our mission and our, our vision of producing, you know, our own unique style of bourbon whiskey and what we, and what the experimental distillery allowed us to explore uh, has, yeah, it's created a, a tremendous amount of confidence and it, it takes a lot of confidence to build up a brand that was sourced, you know, especially MGP. Everybody likes MGP. All your bourbon guys like MGP juice. Right. So to build up a multi thousand case brand utilizing MGP uh, with a recipe that dates back to the very beginning of the company and then leading all the way up to 2019, where you literally rip that off the market like a band aid. It just, you know, no more of this package, no more of this recipe. Everything you guys have been buying, we're now it's ours. Trans- yeah, we're fully transitioning to Chattanooga whiskey, the only Tennessee high mall. We're fully transitioning to this new packaging in '91, this new packaging in '111, this new recipe. Uh, the only thing that it shares in common is, is that they're the, the flagships are both 75% yellow corn. Um, you know, everything, but, you know, uh, but instead of raw rye, it's malted rye, which is significantly different. Instead of a little bit of malted barley, it's 
uh, like instead of a little bit of like pale malt, you've got two specialty malts and caramel malted barley and honey malted barley. Um, a different yeast. We're using a malt whiskey, uh, ye dry yeast. Um, I mean a different fermentation instead of a three day fermentation, we're doing a seven day fermentation instead okay. of distilling at 145 proof, we're distilling at 133 proof. Walk me through the fermentation real quick. That was one of the questions I had going into this was what's the difference when you'd go seven days versus three days, like what's the industry standard and what does that additional time do for the whiskey? So three to four days is the industry standard, um, not temperature controlling. Uh, your yeast, when it consumes the sugars, it produces alcohol, it produces CO2, and it heats up. And the hotter it gets, the more the, the you know the more rapid alcohol, you know, the more the more it exhausts itself uh, more quickly, and the more alcohol it produces more quickly. And um, and in that process, on a shorter, hotter fermentation, uh, the you know the faster, harder the the yeast works, the more esters the yeast produces and those esters are flavors that come from the yeast and you can taste those yeast flavors uh those yeast esters through i mean to me i'm actually quite sensitive to it so you know it doesn't matter if it's a a, a four-year-old bourbon or a 12-year-old bourbon i can still taste it and um and it and, it, and sometimes you know it can it can complement a, a mash bill and sometimes it can you know, be really loud and noisy and astringent and doesn't complement the mash bill. So for us, we wanted to chill that out. So there wasn't, uh, so the yeast esterification wasn't as loud in that the grain would speak more, um, that the, the mash bill would speak more. And then because we do open top fermentations, natural bacteria from the air would create uh, additional complexities, settle into the fermentations and create additional complexities. So there's actually quite a few benefits to longer cold fermentation, but it takes time. You know, it, 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 you're, you're fermenting for twice the time. Totally. Um, you do get a higher yield ABV out of it, which helps a little bit make up for that. Um, but, you know, historically, uh, ferment, the fermentation is the bottleneck. And so the shorter you can ferment for, the better. Because okay. you can turn that tank over and you can distill it faster and get it into a barrel, right? Okay. You can okay. increase your production. I mean, if we were just if we were fermenting for three days instead of seven days, mm. our production capacity in theory would be twice what it is. Totally. So, uh, so we, we're t we're taking the extra time to make sure that it's that uh, that our mash. We put all this work into our recipe, and um, we don't want a noisy yeast covering it up. Well, it just shows that you care about what you're doing. Yeah. And you mentioned your, uh, you changed your, when you switched over, everything changed, the bottle, the packaging. And let me tell you, everything that you guys, you're down to your packaging is gorgeous. Like the bottles is fantastic. The label is beautiful. And do you have, do you have to mail out a lot of your, of your bottles? Like, is it, is there, a, is that how people, if they're not in your immediate distribution can, can find your product and buy it? Uh, so we do work. Um, first of all, I appreciate that. Uh, oh, that it means, is. It's gorgeous. That means a lot to us because uh, we do our, our first hire back in uh, our, my co-founder and I's first hire back in 2012 was our creative director. Really? And, uh, yeah. And he's still here. He's still our creative director. That's and awesome. Now, now a partner in the company and, um, and he is a true talent and one of my best friends and he and I, um, 
we met actually playing music together, but, but I really didn't know him. But, but, you know, a few months prior to him working with me on the vote whiskey campaign and designing the vote whiskey campaign. And then we hired him out of the vote whiskey campaign. Uh, That's so smart, times, Tim. Wonder, that wonder is so smart. I, can, I wonder how many times I can say "vote whiskey campaign" in uh, in one sentence. So, <laughs> well, the vote anyway, whiskey campaign uh, was when people learned to vote whiskey <laughs> by voting whiskey for the vote whiskey. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so, uh, so, so his name's Rich, and Rich and I are really passionate about our marketing and our artwork, uh, particularly our artwork, because uh, I was an art major as well, and so as we, was uh, I, and my. And my and my awesome, and my wife was an art. We, my wife and I met in art school. She was an art major as well. So we all had worried parents. <laughs> yeah, what are these kids gonna do for a living? Oh my God, my dad still he still has an old ceramics piece uh, that you know you in in your first year you have to do everything, not just your medium. Yep. He still has an old ceramic piece that I made. He uses it as a door stopper. <laughs> I. I I taught my wife how to throw a pot. She's oh, yeah? a much better she's a much better artist than I am. And I <laughs> but I, I just wanted to reenact ghost. That was my <laughs> Well, he tells everybody that's a fifteen thousand dollar door stopper. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're you're obviously really good at uh, ceramics. <laughs> I don't think I made anything worth $15,000. I didn't, I didn't make anything worth $15. So, Oh, I think if I remember correctly, I got in trouble for um, sculpting Elvis having sex with something. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> remember what it was. I just remember the teacher did not think it was as funny as I did. And uh, then when it blew up in the kiln, I, I, I said that that will, that's what happens. That sounds like an, that's some awesome artwork for an album cover. <laughs> Like an old Primus album. Yeah. Oh, dude. Now you're speaking my language, brother. Doesn't that sound like a Pork Soda-esque album cover? Uh, one of, Tim Alexander, Primus's drummer, was one of my uh, inspirations behind the drums. So, oh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. That's a, it's a small, a fun connection there. So, uh, yeah. So, um, Rich and I are just super passionate about the artwork, and we worked really hard on the packaging, and he... Uh, and obviously he's the genius behind it, but, uh, but we spent a lot of time on that and it was about capturing both history and, uh, and progress and, you know, innovation. And so that was really, it's kind of funny because now you look at, I mean, I could talk about packaging all day long, so I'll try not to go no, too into no, the weeds, uh, but I, I come from, uh, prior to, uh, comedy and whiskey, I was, in marketing for years and years and years. So you're not boring me at all. I could, oh, cool. I could geek out on marketing all day long, especially what you guys are doing in the whiskey industry is something nobody else. I'm not seeing it in any other capacity. You've very smartly not just packaged your bottle, but you've packaged the packaging that the bottle comes in and you've educated the consumer with a little fact sheet uh, on top of the bottle when they, the whole presentation is just wonderful. Which was really hard to fit on that little label. And uh, we, but we wanted people to see the whiskey and we wanted to celebrate um, kind of the history of whiskey in Chattanooga and that kind of, we did it. You know, we brought whiskey back to Chattanooga for the first time in a hundred years by embossing on the glass because pre-prohibition, they embossed on the glass. And we so we wanted big, bold embossing for that reason. We wanted to say made in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because we were 
sourced for so long and sourcing is a very popular thing in our industry. And so to be able to say that you authentically made it in your hometown, uh, particularly because our hometown is the reason that we're here. That's right. the whole reason behind made in Chattanooga, Tennessee and boss on the glass. But, but what's funny is when we started with with Chattanooga whiskey, 1816 sourced from Indiana, we started with a short squatty bottle. And that bottle was called the Kaleido bottle. And it was, uh, and we were on the front end of, of using that bottle. That bottle became super popular uh, from tons of startup whiskey brands. The, the one to two years following our, our intro. And we were so mad about it. Because, you know, it was a fairly new bottle on the market when we got our hands on it. And right. then everybody started using it. I'm not going to say, like, <laughs> we were the first, but we were one of the first, you know? Right. Get up off my hot tops. So then, yeah. So then we, uh, so it was, so as a part of holding on to our history, we we created a custom mold based off of the Kaleido bottle. So we wanted to keep that. Now the rib, the, you know, the ribs and the embossing and all the detail in the bottle is all to, to commemorate, you know, uh, you know, pre-prohibition, um, like the neck, the, 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 the bulb and the neck was, uh, was a part of in those ribs and that neck were all part to well, part of, you know, a nod to pre-prohibition. And, but the, but the overall, uh, and we wanted the shoulders of the bottle to be, you know, kind of masculine. So they're kind of, the shoulders of the bottle are kind of steep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the the diameter and the height of the bottle is based off of the Kaleido bottle. And here's what's awesome about it. Now, everybody has gone to a tall, slender bottle. And we're the short, squatty guys. <laughs> so... You know, back when we started, we were like, no, everybody's doing the short squatty thing. And now everybody's doing the tall slender thing. And we, you look at the shelf and the short squatty uh, round guys are, um, are is, you know, is, is now looks original once again, which is, which I'm happy with. So. I, I love it though. Cause this is what a whiskey bottle is supposed to look like. And you went with the big embossed lettering on the front of it. Uh, it well, co- and also something else that's kind of funny about it is uh 91 and 111 don't really have any color it's all grays right so right. i'm like i'm wearing a gray cheddar whiskey hoodie right now so and our black our, our our distillery is black and gray uh with white lettering those hats you guys have are awesome by the way oh thanks uh those are freaking anybody that's listening to this go on the website you know what would be an awesome christmas gift buy that damn hat that hat is badass <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm wearing a Riverbend Malt House. Actually, these guys are in North Carolina. Riverbend Malt uh, Maltsters are in. Uh, oh, are yeah. in North. They're in. They're in Asheville, and they're one of our Maltsters. So that's what I'm wearing today. But hell um, yeah. But anyways, the uh, we didn't use. We used all grays and blacks, and which is totally against the grain because everybody wants to have a loud color. Right. And uh, so t- we were like, well, we're going to be the guys that don't have a loud color because there was so much. There's so many intricacies to our packaging that we felt like a loud color would take away from those. And, oh, completely. But, we, but we, we did introduce purple into 99 Rye, and we do use colors on our experimentals. And so it's not like we'll never use color, but we wanted our flagships, 91 and 111, to just be, you know, gray and black and white. 
Well, and it also goes back to your creative director. He's probably heard a thousand times that if everything is special, nothing is. And when you have a beautiful ambered whiskey and you have a gray uh, palette, then your amber whiskey stands out and, and is the star of the show. If you had yeah. picked like an orange or a, I'm trying to think of some of the colors that you see in the market, if a, a red, let's say you might not have this distinction when you're looking at your whiskey in your branding. Yeah. I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. Well, it's just a masterful stroke because, and this is also, I'll put this up online to anybody listening. Uh, every time you, you get a bottle in the mail, it's going to come in this beautiful cardboard packaging, and then you're going to open it up. Like the user experience is what I'm rambling through. It's a very good user oh, yeah. experience. So to that, to the, to uh, just so there's no uh, false advertising on my end, the uh, we do sell for for where we distribute in in uh, in 13 markets, but for the markets that we don't distribute in, um, some of them I think we I think we can sell direct to consumer in like just under 30 states through our online uh portal which is sealbox uh and but you can go through our website to get to sealbox um which is kind of our online distributor if you will uh and but if you if you buy it from sealbox i mean for everybody the 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 cart the what you got was what we call a press kit and so we're, we we'll send our press kit to you know uh, for, to to select people that want to review our product and have a conversation with us, but we don't gotcha. send that to gotcha. we don't send that to our uh, to our so everyday consumers. What you're telling me is I'm special. You are very special. Oh, that's what they said when I was in school <laughs> as well. Just a special, special kid. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you guys did a great job with it. I was blown away when I got it in the mail. I just thought the whole nine yards. And again, that's probably from my marketing background. I thought you guys blew it out of the water. Awesome. I appreciate that. We try. We really do. And now we've talked about whiskey long enough. I, I'm dying to try some. You, you want to walk me through a couple <clears throat> bottles? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I would, uh, I would encourage anybody who has 91 and 111 and 99 rye, um, if you do have all three, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, to our average consumer, that is. Um, but uh, I think it's a, it's a, uh, the progression is 91 and then 111 and then 99 rye. Okay. okay. Um, because 91 and 111 are the same recipe. They're the four grain recipe, but 91 is 91 proof. 111 is 111 proof. You're going to want, 91 is going to, is, is, uh, if you just go, if you just dive straight into a 111 proof, right. tasting it neat, it's kind of a palate shocker. Of course. Um, of course. So, so it's, 91 is going to be that nice medium bodied everyday sipping bourbon, uh, you know, profile and and texture and so it's going to have a like it's going to say medium body it's going to have a you know it's going to have a medium finish on it um it won't be nearly as long lasting as 111 will be because it doesn't coat your palate in the same way that 111 does right so and and just for the novice out there 91 proof is we're, we're taking a barrel strength product and we're proofing it down with water so there's so there's not as much alcohol in it and there, which, therefore, you're not going to have as much flavor from the barrel of what, what's in the barrel on it. So that, that texture is going to be naturally a little thinner on, a, on something that is lower proof. And therefore, it's not going to have as long of a finish because it's lower proof. So 
Anyways, which do you um, prefer? Our, do you prefer the 111 or the? And I know this is like asking you which no, which well, yeah, child do you like the best. Child. Yeah, right. No, hey, depending on the day, I'm happy to answer which child I uh, prefer. <laughs> I can tell you right now which one of mine today is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so uh, I, I I drink them both. 91 is is kind of my like my, my warmer month mm -hmm. um, whiskey, and 111 is kind of my colder month whiskey. Makes perfect sense. Um, and I like to, I really enjoy, uh, in the summer, if, if we're on the water, I enjoy mixing 91 with ginger ale. I think it makes an awesome whiskey ginger. Beautiful. Um, it's just a simple cocktail that is super refreshing, but yet what I really like about ginger ale is you still taste the whiskey through it. You get a, you know, it, it's very complimentary of the whiskey, whereas a lot of sugar, sugary drinks are, you know, mask the whiskey. Right, um, right. I, I like, and if I'm going to drink an old fashioned, I love a 111 old fashioned because I want my old fashioned to be uh, really uh, alcohol forward. Me really too. Burb really bourbon forward. I love it. And I like smoke. So I love a smoked old fashioned. Oh my God. That has been my favorite thing. Uh, you got to have, it's got to be whiskey forward. Like I, I don't really like yeah. ordering them unless I know the bartender because. I don't want sugar water whiskey. I, right. I don't want it to be hidden. I, the, yeah. If the point of an old fashioned, I think is to uh, embellish the whiskey, not hide the whiskey. Right. And that's what I like about a whiskey ginger as well. Um, is I think it embellishes it. I don't think it hides it. So 91 is designed to compete with, you know, your, you know, your everyday kind of like craft classics. Right. So mm -hmm. um, even though it's, it's not necessary, it's becoming a classic, which is cool. But it's not. It's not. It hasn't been around very long, and it's a it's a four grain, high malt uh, bourbon. So hard to call a four grain high malt bourbon a classic. But you know, if you're gonna, but from a price point perspective, it right. competes against Woodford and Knob and Four Roses Small Batch and Elijah Craig, and you know a lot of your a lot of your craft classics. And totally. uh, and I think it does extremely well against any of those in a blind tasting. They're all in the same proof, right? They're all around that like 90 or lower 90s uh, proof. Again, we call it 91 because it 91 proof and it honors the 91st barrel. That was the recipe that we selected. The one special thing, the one additional special thing about 91 is that it is a Solera barrel finished bourbon. And uh, the Solera barrel is a process in which the barrel never goes, it never runs dry, it never goes empty. And it, it, you, it's a finishing vessel so it's a finishing barrel that after it's fully aged um because we age in both four chars and three chars with a toast you have very different nuances between those two barrels even though same recipe same batch right and we will send those barrels equally four chars and three chars with a toast into the solera barrel to co-mingle so when you bottle you're going to bottle out call it eight to ten barrels but the solera barrel holds a hundred barrels so you're never able to extract a barrel that goes in it. So every barrel that goes in it is always left behind to commingle and create more interesting flavors within that barrel over time. And so uh, we've kind of we feel like the Solera barrel adds a little bit of a fruity element to it, which which we think is cool because we use high specialty malts, and in high specialty malts are are roasted toasted grains, and a roasted toasted grain is going to create a darker kind of a deeper, darker, richer flavor profile, almost like dark chocolate is to milk chocolate. Oh my and God, I'm so, drooling over here. I'm, I'm, my mouth is watering. 
So you're going to get like some, some, some of those elements, like uh, you're going to, so 111 is going to be more like a, like a, like a, a straight up like s'more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, like, you know, just dark chocolate, you know, marshmallow, graham cracker, that's 111. 91 is going to be maybe more like, you know, your, your lightly toasted, uh, you know, graham cracker type, uh, not quite, it's, again, they're the same, they're brothers. Um, but 91 is the, the, it's the, uh, it's, you know, the, uh, younger brother to, or whatever, the, the less bold brother to <laughs> right. the, the more, the more approachable, <laughs> even though I think 111 is extremely approachable. 91 is the more, uh, approachable to the everyday, you know, whiskey consumer. Um, so you'll still get some of those darker, uh, toasty, honey, toasty notes out of it and maybe a little bit of fruit. Well, Thanks. I am excited. Uh, you guys have been gracious enough to send me a couple bottles and uh, I've, I've got it. I poured it uh, about 30 minutes ago while we were talking so it could sit for a second. Um, when you're tasting, I know everybody does it differently. Do you have any particular method that you have used over your travels when you're tasting something for the first time? Oxidation is, is important. Um, so I think you got you to let the whiskey breathe, mm-hmm. um, especially higher proof uh, whiskeys. Uh, that's why it's really important to, uh, to swirl the glass and, and maybe even blow into the glass to, to release some of those, uh, alcohol vapors that build up inside the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just introducing oxygen is really important. Um, obviously making sure you have a clean glass is really important. Yeah. You don't right. want any soap in your glass or anything like that. Remnants of anything else or, or yesterday's whiskey intermingling. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it, you know, chewing gum beforehand can throw your palate, uh, or change your palate. Anything you ate beforehand can change your palate. Any smells that are in your, you know, in your, in the room can change your palate. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that affect the, uh, what you would, um, perceive as the flavor profile. So, so it's really, you know, it's really hard to check all those boxes, but, um, but my, I think for me, the most important thing is, uh, a clean glass and letting the whiskey breathe. And then when you do drink it, it's, it's, you know, you don't want to like dig your nose all the way into the glass because it can anesthetize your senses, particularly on a higher proof whiskey can really, it can, you know, it can burn your, uh, your, your, you know, taste buds up. So you don't want to do that. Right. You're just getting the ethanol. Right. Exactly. So you don't want to, you don't want to go dive that deep. And it's, and one, uh, I mean, I know there's all kinds of techniques, but two techniques that I think are pretty good is that when you're breathing it, you know, you kind of, you leave a little bit of room in your mouth for for it to cycle from your nose through your mouth. So it isn't all just going straight to your brain. You know, a smoker came up with that one. A smoker created that process one. The old in through the mouth, out through the nose. Yeah, well, <laughs> and then uh, and then another one is um, is like smelling something neutral to reset your palate because you know when you're like smelling whiskeys, nosing whiskeys a lot, it can uh, it can just kind of wear on your palate, and all of a sudden it, it all starts smelling the same. Right. So you kind of in order to reset it, you can actually just smell your clothes or smell your arm. Okay. And I've talked to distillers that go as far as on days that they know that they are tasting, they will not wear a a scented deodorant. They will not wear a scented perfume or any cologne, whatever, nothing in the hair, nothing that could distract them from the main 
the main utensil of the day, which is the nose and mouth. Yeah, I would, I would say, I mean, if that's, if that's, if you're doing a review or if you're judging or if you are, or if that is your job, um, or, you know, if you're doing a tasting and you're taking it seriously, you definitely don't want to cover yourself in patchouli. No, no, nothing that's going to distract. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it's got a beautiful nose. Uh, what all, and, and now this is your juice. So I'm, I'm hesitant to, to ask you to tell me what I'm, what I'm smelling, but I also want the, uh, the, the maestro's info. Yeah. I mean, for me again, I, I, those, uh, get the marsh, a little bit of marshmallow for sure. So a lot of people call, you know, they call our bourbon malty, which it is. Mm-hmm. Get the and, and, and to understand, you know, malted grains, particularly specialty malted grains and the ones that we use caramel malted barley and honey malted barley, the caramel and the honey are going to come through on that. Um, for those reasons, not to mention, uh, you know, four chars and three chars and toasting the toasting, the wood that creates a very vanilla caramel, uh, profile as well. Caramel is such a, <clears throat> such an abused, uh, term. <laughs> Everybody, references uh caramel for uh for all of their tastings but uh but it is a it's a it's a really nice rich note and you're going to get more of that out of specialty malts particularly the specialty malts that we're using in there um the yellow corn is very sweet mm-hmm. uh so you know you're, that's going to be it's going to give a really nice you know you know tone of uh, sweetness to it and um and the specialty malts are going to bring more of like a richness to it uh, than just a, than just a sweetness. So, um, I would say again, those, those, those kind of those toasted, think about those toasted notes, you know, think about a little bit of like French toast, mm. maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of, uh, a, a, you know, uh, the chocolate I don't think is as present in 91 as it is in 111. I think you're gonna get a lot of chocolate and maybe even some coconut oh, out of, uh, out of 111, but with 91, it's just kind of just like light honey, uh, t- you know, honey toast. I'm definitely getting the toast and the sweet combined with the toast. So I could see French toast. I, I, the, the marshmallow on a campfire is, is the thing that's popping out to me like that, that toasted sweet smell of, of probably the honey is where that is where I'm getting that with the char and the toast. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to go in. Dig in, man. Cheers. Cheers. It's officially, um, nobody knows what time it is. Don't worry about what time it is, people listening. Hey, it's it's it, afternoon. It's, we're, it's, we're good. We're good now. We're good. We've been good the whole time. I, I, didn't, I didn't practice for this interview by, by drinking early. No, no. Uh, cheers. Cheers, man. Oh, the, malt, the, the malted comes through so nicely. It's balanced. It's it's. It's creamy. It's delicious. It really has a solid mouth feel. Like everything that you're getting, it, it's it's balanced in what it's doing. It's not like attacking the mouth. It's like it's it's sitting there and rolling around. Yeah, it's meant to be a, an easy sipper. That's what we like about it. Even though it's got a lot going on, um, it's still it's still kind of nice light and easy to sip oh and then the second sip like the first sip you get like 
of course you're getting the alcohol on the first sip. Right. Yeah. But you're still some of the uh, harsher notes in the first sip. They still have a sweet, creamy quality to them. And then the second sip, it's like it's like chapter two, where everything that you had the first time, it grows a little bit. And expands. And now you're getting honey. You're getting the toast. You're get, I'm still getting that sweet. Not quite marshmallowy, but definitely toasted. Yeah. Just a beautiful mouthfeel all the way around. Awesome. Thank you. I could see this being a, a solid day sipper. And it's from that uh, from that high malt. It, it's got a quality about it that you do not find in other in other bourbons. No, and I would encourage I can I do encourage people to blind taste. I think it's first first it's really fun. And yeah. if you have friends over and you are exploring whiskeys, um, you know, do blind tastings because they're great for conversation, they're great for exploring and they will um, change your mind about things and uh, and I love blind tasting 91 and 111 against uh, against anything else in its class. Well, um, what would you because I, I can completely see that. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to discern the notes between other things without having the other things in front of me. What would you if I was because I'll, I'll get the team together tonight and we'll do a blind taste. Uh, what would you recommend uh, that I not tell them we're blind tasting against? Oh, I mean, I would uh, anything, whatever you want. I mean, it can be it can be Buffalo Trace, it can be Makers, it can be Woodford, it can be Knob Creek. Uh, you know, Basil Hayden, I think is a lighter. It's I don't even think I think Basil Hayden's like eighty proof, so I don't think you want to go there. Uh, you want something that's going to be at least ninety proof. It's, uh, four roses, four roses, small batch. Um, I, I I like to do things that are in the price point of 91 right now 111 no 111 is a, a 40 dollar price point uh which is which is a very very competitive price point but i'll put 111 up against anything i'll put it up against you know 100 200 bottles it doesn't matter but but 91 is designed to be in that competitive craft price point so throw it up against anything i don't i don't care oh my god the <laughs> the finish on this like i just the the malt hits you at the end of it. It's so the the finish is amazing. Yeah. Are you are you are you sipping ninety one or one eleven now? Uh, sipping ninety one right now. Yeah. All right. I, I I and I'll take it that that question means the finish is going to be even better when I get to one eleven. I think it is. I think most of the people that taste them side by side, if you are a bourbon fan. It's almost like, I don't know, it's a very high percentage of, of people that lean towards 111 over 91 as bourbon fans. Um, but that's when you're tasting them side by side and you really uh, like appreciate the texture and you want that really long finish. 111 just stands out like crazy. Well, and from this being my first experience with a high malt, I, I, I'm... I wish I had more descriptors for what I'm tasting, but this is one of those things where I'll, I'll email you in like a week after I've drank this for like four days in a row. And it'll, it'll just be a more uh, completed portrait that I paint. Grab, grab that uh, sales sheet there that you, uh, that you were holding a minute ago. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, um, I'm pretty sure our distilling team put some descriptors on there. 
If you look under 91, mm-hmm. does, it have, does it have a uh, taste profile? Oh, there you go. Dried apricot, sweet tea, honeyed toast. Honey, definitely got the honey toast we were talking about. Medium bodied with a lingering malty sweet finish. Yeah, okay, so I wasn't too far off. I missed the fruit. Because you definitely get the malt at the end. You got the honey toast on the palate. And of course, there's always dried fruit. So, yeah. All right. Good for me. (laughs) Congratulations. I did it, Tim. I did it. I am so proud of you. (laughs) Who's my big, brave boy? (laughs) This is also wonderful for people that are just getting into it. So that if you, I, I love having things like the fact sheet because you can do almost a blind taste test with yourself and then with don't cheat, don't read what it should taste like before you yeah, do right. it. But right. then um, how, how awkward would it have been just now if I'd have given completely opposite answers as to what you guys put on the fact sheet? Not awkward. I, I feel like we've been, I feel like we've been doing this long enough to where uh, we, we run into, you know, all kinds of people that with all kinds of opinions. So I'm getting Doritos. I'm definitely getting a nacho cheese Dorito. <laughs> well, Jesse, have you been eating nacho cheese Doritos? Yes. Yes, I have. I've been eating a lot of nacho cheese Doritos before this conversation, is but that, I'm definitely that nacho cheese Dorito that's smeared across your upper lip. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, I, I know I'm keeping you for a minute or two longer than we had thought. Uh, is it okay to try a 111 with me real yeah, quick? Yeah, man. Yeah, please. Because the 111, I, I don't know about you. I go back and forth like like some month. And I think you're right that the seasons play a, a large role in that. But I've been on a spicy kick lately. Anything 100 plus has just been my go-to. And I'm very interested after trying the 91 to try the 111, especially if it is the, the, un, you know, the, the, the main juice. Yeah. 111 is, um, it's kind of developing a cult following. It's Love really, it. it's really exciting to see. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel like, uh, if that's the thing that carry, of course we got a lot of accolades on 99 rye, but 99 rye is, for for a rye, it's interesting, but I think for a one eleven, I mean for a bourbon, I think one eleven is equally interesting. Um, but all of those notes are just way bolder uh, in one eleven. But it doesn't drink like it's one eleven proof. One of the key um, s- steps in one eleven from a that really enhances texture is that it is unfiltered. So we actually allow char sediment to pass through. Um, into the bottling. And so you see a lot of char sediment in the bottles of 111 and, uh, and, you know, just enhances viscosity and texture. And that in terms of finish, just really long finish. Beautiful. And I didn't cheat. I didn't read the thing for 111 when I was reading the thing for 91. So I've set myself up for failure a little bit here. If I, if I'm, if I'm not as uh, correct as I was a moment ago. Hey man, why do you think we drink? We drink because we, we, we drink because we're failures. <laughs> <laughs> to forget, we drink to forget. Um, I had somebody recently tell me uh, a distiller in New York that the only way to get to build your palate is repetition. So I'll be on the uh, couch just just sipping whiskey, and my wife will be like, "Are you, are you drinking whiskey again?" And I'm like, "No, honey, I'm practicing." Yeah, right. It it works in whiskey. 
Oh, the honey that- comes across the nose immediately. <clears throat> oh, the sweet. Okay, now the the ninety one was fainter it, it, yeah. it its nose was of course oh yeah because yep. of course it would be but yep. oh my goodness oh like a toffee i'm getting like a toffee or a yeah. butterscotch yeah toffee butterscotch is is a popular uh tasty oh. note that we hear from people um i can't go to the well too often but do you, did you ever watch beer fest no it's a it's a broken lizard movie. It came out after uh, uh, Super Troopers. You and I are in the same age. Uh, I think we're about the same age. So I thought you might have seen it. This reminds me of. Uh, I, I just want to like fill a pond up with this and then freeze it in the winter and skate on it and then melt it in the spring and drink it. <laughs> I've not even had a sip yet, and this nose. I just want to sit here and and nose this all day long. Yeah, it's. It's phenomenal. It's a, it's, it's a it's a really fun, <clears throat> rich, complex bourbon. I love, like I said, I love putting it up against anything in a blind tasting. I think it just does so well, and it stands out in a crowd. I mean, I could <clears throat> not that I'm three sheets to the wind very often, but I could be three sheets to the wind, and somebody could put, you know, fifteen different bourbons in front of me, and I'll pick one eleven out, and and I mean immediately. Just on the nose. Do you get three sheets anymore? I I, I don't. I, I don't see the purpose in it no. myself. No. I think no. that comes with it's, uh, age. It, it's it'd have to be a uh, a very uh, it'd be a celebration of some sort, mm-hmm. or um, you know, even then, the problem is, is you know, you still got to wake up and run a business and uh, be a parent and be a husband. So, uh, and I, I, I don't enjoy doing that with a hangover. No, I, I think kids are, are, are a big part of that. Like you just said, the, the, the husband uh, and the, and the business, well, it's your business. So if you came in smelling like whiskey, people would just think you took your work home with you, but there's nothing worse than uh, being uh, not present for the kids when you know right. that it's your own fault that you're not present. Right. Uh, there's our, the more, you know, moment for the day. Yes, uh, exactly. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to go in for a sip. We wouldn't be able to give this kind of advice if we weren't we're drinking tr- and talking about Chattanooga whiskey. That's exactly right. Uh, we're trailblazers, yeah. Tim, you and I We're yeah. trailblazers. We're good parents. We're drinking whiskey in the day. It's all the way it's supposed to be. We're trailblazers because you can be a great parent and drink whiskey at noon. Responsible. At- this is delicious. This is absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. And you, this is the one you said that's got the cult following? Yeah, I think 111 has established a cult following as a high-proof bourbon. It's complex. You definitely, there's a volume to it that you don't see in the 91. It's got a, it just is all-encompassing mouthfeel. The flavors really come through bolder as well. Hey, there's the chocolate. You All right. Did you say chocolate a minute ago? Yeah, I did. Yeah. There it is right there. Uh, you get the chocolate, you get the honey, you get the, 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 I mean, everything from the first one only heightened, of course. But yeah, that chocolate sits there right on the front of the tongue a little bit. Yeah, you don't get the chocolate really out of 91 very much, but out of 111, it's definitely present. Right on the front. And then... The finish again with uh, the same thing. The finish is where the malt really hits you. Ha! 
It's funny, while I'm drinking this, apparently my daughter has put a unicorn in my office. So while I drink how old how old how old is your daughter? She's five. So yeah, my kid my kids are <clears throat> super into my little pony and they're nine and seven. Oh really? So maybe yeah. we're just at the beginning of that. But yeah, it, no, it, it it comes and goes. They were really into it and then they were not, and then now they're back into it again. They've and and apparently my little pony has like unlimited episodes. So oh, I hear really? I hear the my, the my the My Little Pony theme song <laughs> constantly in the background. And it's pretty damn catchy. Oh no. So that's what oh, I have yeah. to look forward to. Oh yeah, man. It's it's just as I sip this 111, I looked up and there was a unicorn and I thought for a moment I was having an out-of-body experience. That may be true as well. <laughs> I can't see the unicorn, so I'm just going to assume you're having an out-of-body experience. And now it's not there anymore. Oh, I'm now I'm scared. <laughs> this is this is really good. Uh it, it it's it's amazingly good. It's worth the accolades. I can I can definitely speak to that. All of the notes are on point. Everything's balanced. Third sip, the malt hits you first. That's interesting. It's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. It's a man. It's a change up. It is. It is. I, I, I like going. Uh, I like the progression. 91. It kind of introduces you to it. And then uh, 111. It, it, it's it. It's right there. It's in your face with everything that you were preparing for with uh, 91. Um, on the kid front, I geared my children towards shows that I liked when I was a kid so that when they wanted to watch them 24 hours a day, I didn't go crazy. So on my worst day, I'm watching a DuckTales marathon and I am as happy as I've ever been. I've started doing that with some movies, uh, particularly like Christmas movies. Our kids are on to Harry Potter now. They're really into it. So yeah. I, I like the Harry Potter movies. So, you know, they have not they they just watched through five Okay. I wouldn't let I wouldn't let them watch four and five. I wouldn't let them watch four up until uh, just a few months ago. But then I let them watch. Four is uh, pretty I intense. My, I wanted my six year old to turn seven before she watched it, because uh, I think technically they go from PG to PG thirteen. But there's nothing other than like you the know tone. the tone. Yeah, it's other than that. They're actually pretty. They're, I would still. I, I you know. They're pretty docile. Yeah. Uh, my son, he has, he's nine and he has just finished in like two weeks, uh, Harry Potter, the books, Harry Potter one and two. And he started three last night and now he's wanting to watch the movies. And I mean, he's just devouring them. And three, I think is the one where uh, Christopher Columbus left the franchise and they brought in, I'm going. I'm not going to remember the name. Some I think David Yates maybe, and his tone is so much darker. Like I think the movie that he had made prior to the Harry Potter's, it wasn't Pan's Labyrinth, but it was one of those movies of the Pan's Labyrinth era. Yeah. And then yeah. boom, he's handed the the Wizarding World, and yeah. and I think you can see that in the cinematography because yeah. everything yeah. gets darker. Yeah. So uh, and then of course with Christmas movies, the only you know I won't I won't let them watch. The Christmas story yet because how come? Well, it's uh, I mean, I feel like um, the dad in the Christmas story <laughs> is, 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 a, is a little uh, is maybe a little too uh, I don't know, it's I don't think I don't, I'm sure that they'd be fine, <laughs> but he may be a little bit 
much for them right now, <laughs> uh, especially with the leg lamp and whatnot, you know, right, so right. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, so there's that. And then uh, obviously I will not let them watch Christmas Vacation, which is one of my favorite movies oh, of all time. I watched it the other night. It's absolutely uh, one of I, my I, top. I probably watched it 10 times a, a season. Yep. Yep. I've seen but, it twice um, in the past week. Chevy Chase at his absolute best brilliance. 100%. And that's the third movie. It's very rare that the third movie in the franchise is the best of all of them. That's true. And this, this, is, this reminds me of a frequent argument that I like to bring up on the second album in the grunge era. The second album was the best album of all of, of you oh, know, it's, it, okay. And, if, and, it's official, and, and, Tim. We need to get together and do this again because I could talk to you about music for another hour. Well, as when we get off of this, uh, you should you should go and think about every second album, first and second album of every oh immediately grunge Pearl, band. Pearl Jam pops to mind right off the top. Just uh, verses versus ten, and I would almost say Vitalogy after that is is the crowning achievement of that first three albums. I mean, they're both, they're three amazing albums. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say though, that I think that Versus was the most exciting album. The, I think it was the best musically. I think Versus was the best album out of all three of them. Well, Versus is the one. Vitalogy is my favorite. I'll say that up top. Vitalogy is awesome. Yeah. It, it's so good. And it makes me feel old that it turned 26 uh, last oh week. Oh my God, dude. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. boo. Boo to time. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, that's fun. I like this game. Uh, Vitalogy versus was, I feel like they got such stardom from 10 that versus was almost like, um, and the killers did it too with Sam's Town. Like versus yeah. was their, uh, uh, hey, everybody you we're here to stay and this is what you have to look forward to for the next 30 years i would argue i would argue the same thing with uh you know even though by the by the uh like volume standards um or sales or publics the you know public standards pinkerton was a shitty weezer album pinkerton is the best pinkerton is the best album they ever came out with and i would say that it is absolutely even though it's not as iconic, it is absolutely a better album musically than the Blue Album. It, it's okay. Uh, did we just become best friends? Uh, Pinkerton is probably in my top five albums of all time. It's, am it's amazing. It's it, an amazing it, album. From start to finish, it takes you on a freaking... They've it's, not reached that level of depth in their music but he, since but he then. Knows that. He knows oh, does that. he? Oh yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. I think he was. I think he went into like a deep depression after Pinkerton because <laughs> it was like a masterpiece that nobody, you know, recognized. Nobody, nobody recognized. Yeah. Uh, how awesome is it that his depression was him going to to Harvard? You, you, you have good options if you're at your lowest point and you say to yourself, <laughs> "I should go to an Ivy League school and get better." Yeah, um, I think Pinkerton is from cover to cover. It is an amazing album uh, but i mean we I, you can name anything man i'll i will argue every single second album i'm trying Keep to going. i'm trying to think of the second smashing pumpkins album because wasn't there one between uh, yeah no it was that was that was siamese dream over uh it was well so gish and then siamese dream gish okay that's the one i was forgetting and then it goes straight so into I'm, I'm i'm wondering if they did have some, if they had something before gish 
then it was so it, it would have been gish siamese dream pisces iscariot i think uh and i think siamese dream takes the cake i mean gish is an amazing album but i think you can argue that siamese dream is their best album ever um i've never wanted to hang out with billy corrigan is that bad to say no, I, I don't think I want to hang out with them either. I feel like it would be like you'd be sitting there and you'd be trying to make conversation and he would just be shooting everything down. Like, hey, it's a nice day outside, isn't it? Yeah, it's okay, I guess. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> hey, I'm drinking some delicious Chattanooga whiskey. You want some? Eh, you know, I guess not a little bit. I don't know. I don't care. You know, that's what it is. You'd be like, All right, Billy, give me something here, guy. Come on. Yeah, right. <clears throat> well, he might have been the most musically talented out of all of the uh, grunge artists. I completely agree. And I think that might be why he is a step to the left like that, because when you're that yeah, right. talented, uh, the voice is like just the shit that's going on in your head 24 hours a day has to be yeah. almost annoying after you've been doing it for 40 years. I, okay. would, uh, I would argue that, uh, yeah, Stone Double Pilots, Purple over, uh, over Plush. Any day I of mean, the week. that's just me. But, Any day of the yeah. week. And, and also a lesser... Um, everybody from my circle at the time hated the third album. And I thought the third album was some of their best stuff. Tiny gifts from a Vatican gift yeah. shop or, or yeah. I don't know oh, if I'm yeah. saying that right. Tiny gifts from something. Here's where the hate mail comes in from this episode, because here's where people get really charged when you say the name of something they remember fondly wrong. <laughs> I'll get like a, a, a angry Facebook message. It's tiny gifts from a something, 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 <laughs> you jerk. Okay, we could do this all day. Um, yeah, I, no doubt. That, okay, I, I would love to uh, talk to you about music on another time. Um, you guys sent me one more. I, I, I We have gone super long. I, do you have time to do the rye? Yeah, let's do it. Let's Perfect. do it. Um, why do you think Rye has come? Rye was such a polarizing spirit for so long and people have just sort of found it recently and there's been a resurgence of Rye. Why, why do you think that is? Because I've always, I've always loved Rye. <clears throat> well, is it the spice? I don't know. I, I hear that come and go constantly though. I mean, ever, since, since the beginning of, since dating back 10 years ago, um, you know, I remember when Rye was popular and then it kind of wasn't, and then it was, and it kind of was, I don't feel like Rye has really gone anywhere. I think it's always around. I think it's here to stay. Um, I think that what you're seeing as potentially a resurgence is more just because you have so many distilleries that are doing bourbon and rye. And now you're starting to see some interesting ryes come out. Right. Whereas, Whereas other before now it was dominated by ninety five five rye, it was dominated by Bullet Rye and Templeton Rye, which right, Angels right. Envy Rye. They were all coming from the same, you know, they were all coming from MGP. Yep, yep. Um, uh, so, I, I do yeah. like Pikesville Rye. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think they're all. I think I think they're all good. Uh, you know, Old Elk. Uh, uh, Greg makes a delicious rye as well. Which I guess he should. He he's he's the rye guy. Yeah, right. Um, just from the initial smell of this, you're getting such a wonderful um, chocolate cake spice. Yeah, like, like, we like, call yeah we call it a well. There's a popular note that a lot of people. Or is it milkshake? Um, is it chocolate cake or milkshake? We've heard a lot of cola spice. That's been like a, a popular note is cola spice. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. This is, 
but you're getting, you know, but it, but you got three malted rye grains in there out of four. It's a four grain. You got 30% corn, 30 plus percent corn, 60 plus percent malted rye, three malted rye grains. So they're going to be, again, that, that roasted, toasted, uh, rich, you know, rye grain is going to create a very different rye experience. It's not, it, it'll be a spite. It'll, it'll be spicy, but it's, but it's going to be a lot richer. So, uh, we call it the bourbon drinker's rye. What proof does this come in at? 99? Yep. So it's got some nice texture to it because it's a higher Perfect. proof rye. Perfect. Uh, I, do you think they, they, for mass public consumption, they diluted the rye a little bit so it was more palatable to the everyday drinker? Mm, and by they, I, I mean know. you, like, like the industry. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of a lot of barrel-proof ryes. But a lot of people like spice. So, well, you know, it's interesting, though. There's a lot of bourbon drinkers don't like rye, but all the rye drinkers are, are both rye and bourbon drinkers. So what we have found with our rye is that it is appealing to both. It's appealing to both the bourbon drinker and the rye drinker. It's It smells amazing. And, and all I meant by that was the general bourbon consumer that shows hesitation to a rye like me personally i yeah. i this 99 is right where i want it to be uh cool. anything 100 plus give it more flavor the better but if yeah. you are a big corporation and you're trying to market towards people who some study showed didn't find rye to be in the same ballpark as bourbon for their taste. That if you were trying to market it to people, getting it down to where you see some of the uh, MGP products at that 90 proof level might be more marketing than, than soul. Yeah. I, think there's a, I mean, a lower proof is going to appeal to a larger population of anything, whether that be bourbon or that be rye. That's fair. So. That's fair. All right, I'm going in. Uh, Go for it. The smell is amazing. Like just that straight malt. Oh, what am I getting first there? What is that right at the beginning? You tell me. When it sits for a second, you get more of the malt. You get... Now that I've got chocolate milkshake in my brain, that's the only place I can go. <laughs> but that that's that's not a bad that's not a bad uh, tasty oh, note. Jesus, this is good. I'd, I'd take chocolate milkshake all all day. Okay, you get the spice, you get the um, all spice at the very beginning of it, and then from there it hits the middle of your tongue, and the mouthfeel expands. And once the mouthfeel expands, you get a solid freaking chocolate cake milkshake. That is, that is, and then it just continues to envelop. We're going to have to, we're going to have to take this recording of you saying that and use it in our advertising. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I didn't swear not once during that entire descriptor. No. And then the finish, Tim, the finish is just all malt. It, it, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. Um, The, the 111 was masterful. And obviously a well-crafted spirit, but the, actually, I'm going to take that back. I can see a place for both of them. This is at the moment my favorite, but I could also see this being outside cold day 
campfire sitting here sipping it and it just making the world go around where the 111 i could see hard day inside just stopped for the day and this is your go-to uh alleviator of a hard day i could see both having their place right on you're making me want to go start a fire if it weren't pouring down rain outside (laughs) we've actually got a shred of sunshine showing through now i think it was supposed to roll out um no you're all day we're all i don't know actually man that is good well i have kept you for a lot longer than someone as busy as yourself should be i enjoy it man this is this is what i enjoy to do so i could talk music with you all day i could talk bourbon with you for another hour and a half but i think bourbon uh uh, rock and roll we could probably go through nightfall (laughs) yeah Uh, no doubt well it's it's hard uh, uh a lot of people the beauty of this new generation is that we're all my age and your age. Uh, just from when you graduated college, I've, I've figured that we're in the same group. But it's hard sometimes when you're talking to people that are of an older ilk or, or heaven forbid, a younger ilk when music comes up because I got in a, a, a heated debate with my friend's now ex-girlfriend who was just she was convinced that Britney Spears played the same social impact on music as Madonna did. And she wouldn't hear anything otherwise. She wouldn't hear how they were both like basic, like, like Britney Spears was her generation's version of Madonna. She would hear none of it. She was just steadfast. No, Britney equal to Madonna. I'm just like, Oh goodness. We're not going to be able to talk very long. Are we? I think, uh, I think the, the, I think Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera had a larger impact on culture than the boy bands did that were coming out at the same time as them. Because I think they were first by a little bit like Britney Spears hit first. She was she was the Elvis of that movement. Yeah, so I would say that culturally, I do think they had, I think she had a, like a pretty significant impact. But she's not Madonna. No, no, hell no. I would say, (laughs) I would say sadly, sadly, that might be like one of the last big culture impacts that an artist Mm -hmm. had. And I would say neither of them, I would say no one in that genre had anywhere close to the cultural impact that any of the early nineties bands did. No, no. Early nineties bands changed. And I will go as far as to say that from, from the early 1900s, every decade changed every decade or two decades significantly changed life up until uh, the 2000s, then it stopped. Is it because we got smaller? Like, I feel like once everybody no, got I, online, everything merged together, and then there wasn't man, one voice leading an, the way. It, it's such an interesting. I have not really dug into the, the you know, this, this, the debate on why. Um, I think that is a really good point. I also think that um, the originality. I think originally originality has a lot to do with it. I think, you know, every genre was, was really original up until the two thousands and beyond and beyond. I think, you know, from 1990 to 1994, you had some of your most 
original music, not to mention, yeah, we were actually to, and to tie into what you're saying, what do you, what are we doing? We're glued to the TV. We're watching these music videos uh-huh, on, uh-huh. We're, we're watching the black hole sun music video. You One know of the what greatest I mean? music and, videos of all time. It was amazing. And, and then, you know, so we're all watching the same con. Well, God, but you're not, yeah, but there's not this, but you're glued to the TV and you're inspired by that without commentary, right? without everybody telling you what you should or shouldn't like. Right. And right. And no that, shaming, I, no shaming based on what you like. Yes. Yeah. It was completely an unfiltered, like you're sitting there in your room by yourself watching this music video, d- making your own you mind know, up. Your, yes. Making your own mind up. Maybe that's the difference because nobody makes their own mind up anymore. You have an idea before you have fleshed out that idea. Oh God, we sound 40. Oh no. Oh no. We sound 40. No, no, but, no I, this is where, I mean, I, honestly, I am, but you're as an entrepreneur, I, I think you're I, right. I, I, I'll, because you know how because, right now I everybody I mean, I, go ahead yeah go ahead <laughs> i was saying I, str- I struggle with i struggle with this because children as an entrepreneur and a creative i i need to be creative to continue to be a good entrepreneur yes and a thousand and percent the more and the more time i spend on my phone i feel like the more my creative juices are killed and I'm really struggling with it because I live my life on my damn phone. Yeah. I can't get off my phone, but I do truly believe that my phone has absolutely stunted my creativity. And I really, because I'm not, I'm not as like my thoughts. I don't feel like they're as free flowing as they were. And that's what, and I have to, as an entrepreneur, you have to stay relevant. And tied in. You have to stay relevant and you have to get, but you have to continue to innovate. Yeah. And the way yeah. you innovate is by free flowing creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and flu, and I felt like I, you know, and I'm always struggling to like hold on to free flowing, uh, creativity. And I absolutely believe that the cell phone is crushing and social media is crushing free flowing creativity. Well, for everything that it helps build, it destroys 75% of the things it doesn't agree with. And I think that's the hardship of it all. And this also, this conversation ends with me and you doing peyote in New Mexico, listening to Primus. That's, that's where this all ends up is just, you know what else? Boom. Mind expansion. Uh, I, it's a hard thing because for any creative there is an immediate urge to push what you have in your brain out to the masses. And I think it comes with age and time and uh, the mastering of your craft that you learn to cultivate that little thing in your brain before you push it out for mass consumption. And I think that's one of the things that people are missing right now because they want to be special immediately. Look at Maker's Mark, look at that family and how they did not push their product out They didn't make a profit off of that product for years and years and years and years because it wasn't ready and it wasn't ready for mass consumption. So they wouldn't do that. And and then it was when it was, it took over the world. And I, I think that's the same specifically when with music you look at the people that blew up in the 90s these are people that had something to say they had a point of view they got their sound 
where they wanted it. I'm, I'm speaking more of Pearl Jam than I am of other yeah. artists. And then when they put it out there, it was ready to go and they surfed it for the next 30 years. Yeah. It's, um, I hope that my kids get to experience something like what we got to experience in the early nineties. And I know that they all have their own things that we're, we're old and we don't understand, but musically but it's worrisome like, you know, cause they're yeah. imagine dragons is not stone temple pilots. No, there's my creative director. Who's uh, a couple of years older than me, but was, a, was very tied into the, uh, he and his wife were very passionate about grunge era. He, he still argues there's a lot of amazing original because he, he follows the underground scene. Mm. I mean, he knew about Jack White before he was Jack White, you know, right, and right. Uh, he knew about the Alabama shakes before the Alabama shakes were the Alabama shakes. So he follows these guys uh, religiously and he, he knows of a lot of really good, inspiring, creative music. Um, but to me, it's, it's it, the thing is, is it's not changing you, you, there is, there is not, there's no math, math. They're not creating, and, and it's sad. Maybe they should be, and right. maybe it's because it's because of social media, and it's because of the noise that they cannot break through, and they can't create a new genre because we're not all going to the CD store at the, you know, at the same time to look for these CDs. And it's, it's not like, a video so, of somebody shaking a cat with a birthday hat on. It's not an immediate uh, <sighs> visual stimulation. I feel like, uh, so I'm, I'm really close with John Edwards from dad's drinking bourbon and we've gotten into love dad's uh, drinking bourbon. So John and I are super tight and John would really love this conversation. I feel like I see we it need, part two. I, I, we I feel triangulate like we need efforts, get, get him and you yeah. and I, cause I yeah. freaking love dad's drinking bourbon yeah, and we just awesome. sit, we don't, we don't put an interview to it. We just sit and we bring a bottle of something that we all like, uh, uh, Frick will bring the, why did I say Frick right there? I've not held my tongue the entire time. Uh, <laughs> 111 and 311. And we'll, we'll just <laughs> Dude, I was a huge 311 fan, but I look back and I go, my God, lyrically, they were terrible. <laughs> Somebody at some point wrote the lyric. Da, 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 Like they wrote that. They wrote that on a sheet of paper and then showed it to a friend. And that friend was like, wait a minute. Is that da, 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 da. And they were like, yes. And they were like, we are on to something. Dude, I used to do that. I mean, <laughs> the true musician. We've I, we've all done that. You've called your buddy. To, you've called yes. your buddy, and you were like, "Hey, hey, what do you think of this?" Ba da da, bump bump, da da da, bump bump. And then they're like, "No, no, 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 no. It needs to go da da da, bump bump, da da da, bump ba." And you're like, "Holy shit, yes!" <laughs> How quickly can you get over to my house? <laughs> oh my god i'm not i have i'm just sitting over here drinking water i haven't had a this is i feel like i need to start drinking whiskey because <laughs> this conversation could be headed in an epic epic direction well as, as long as i've been doing this I, I was talking to my wife the other day i feel like we need to do the tastings first because once the tasting happens it's like it it breaks the wall of of us talking down and <laughs> then you get to the good stuff yeah, no, it's true. I usually do my tastings uh, after five or six o'clock, but uh, and if I start them at nine, then Oof, you know the you've got a day the, ahead of it you. Gets, 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I was a but, little uh, worried about yeah. this, but then luckily we talked until uh, we had a good conversation prior to the tasting. And then once the tasting came, it was it was lunchtime. So, yeah, no different than any other day is what I'll lie to the yeah. courts about. Um, are you into are you a vinyl guy at all? No, my dad has a million vinyls. I I sadly am not a purist in, uh, with when it comes to that stuff. I, I wish I was. I wish I was more of a nerd. I just never got into it. But Rich, our creative director, is a massive vinyl guy. So There is something about the grunge era on vinyl that it is, I will admit, nerd status immediately. Uh, but if you can get uh, the beauty of going from town to town is I've got nothing but time on my hands during the day. So I look for whiskey and I go to the record shop and I found a stone temple pilots unplugged vinyl. That's cool. And when you get something like that, and then you can hear the just, just raw emotion yeah. coming through that performance that's wanted yeah. to be Pearl Jam so bad he couldn't stand it, but it's still, <laughs> it still, it, 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 it was amazing. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think they wanted to be Pearl Jam. No, 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 no. Not as a band, but that unplugged performance. Oh, right. He oh. totally wanted to be Pearl Jam with that unplugged performance. The Pearl Jam unplugged performance was amazing. Uh, probably my favorite unplugged performance, but it never got the notoriety that Nirvana unplugged got. Well, Nirvana had better marketing behind them, and they yeah. had the um, the benefit of being first in the mainstream's mind. Yeah. So, and, and plus, there is honestly, when the man who sold the world by Nirvana, or um, I know what you did last night, but I think I know what you did last night by Nirvana might be one of the most achingly beautiful live tracks ever. Yeah, just the no, sheer is. shredded. His vocal cords are done from a whole concert of singing, and it just comes through beautifully. Did you ever see? Do you remember Toadies? Yeah, hell yeah, I remember the Toadies. They were amazing. Uh, probably the most underrated grunge band, one of the most underrated grunge bands ever. And they, I saw recently that they did a they did an unplugged. And it was like not that long ago. Really? And they, yeah. And it was, I, I saw a few songs. It was really good. Okay. Anyway, I've got to look that up. As yeah, soon look as... that, I, I, I have to look it up because I don't even remember. This is probably like a year ago. And maybe it was my brother that showed it to me. I can't, or maybe it was Rich that showed it to me. But the guy was like older and fatter. And, you know, he was, he was, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, but, but it was, he sounded just as good. <laughs> And I, I don't remember. I, I, I don't have any context, uh, but I, I, want, I need to go look it back up. But look for like Toadies Unplugged. Well, that's also why I, I, I will never go see. I know Tool has uh, said that they're going to tour again. And I will not go see Tool now because you know yeah. what I don't need in my life? Fat Tool. And it's been 25 years. There's no way that at least one member of Tool isn't now Fat Tool. And I just can't, I can't do that. That's not a thing I need. I don't know, man. I think those guys smoke way too much dope to be fat. <laughs> True. That's a good point. Uh, you said Jack White a minute ago. I got a quick Jack White story for you. And, I'll, I'll, and then we will, I've taken up two hours of your time, which I'm very appreciative of. This has been a lot of fun. I would yeah. definitely like to do this again. We'll get the, the DOB in and that could be awesome. Um, Jack White 
used to be before he was, I mean, he's always been a musician, but while he was a struggling artist, he was also an upholsterer apprentice. So him and this cat uh, from Detroit would take rich people's furniture and reupholster them. And the guy that, uh, and he, he was being an apprentice to do this for the rest of his life. And the guy that he was uh, apprenticing with was an artist as well. So every chair or sofa or whatever that they were reupholstering he would write poetry and he would put poetry into the love seat or armchair that he was refabricating so somewhere out there there is somebody sitting on jack white poetry (laughs) and i just thought that's the most jack white thing i've ever heard that is really cool (laughs) man There's just, I guess there's, I mean, I get, uh, what are the odds that somebody's going to find it? Right. I think that's the best part. I think the beauty of the whole thing is that he knows that it's there and nobody else does. That's cool, man. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a wild, really good. He's a wild cat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick before we go, I, I've always got one question that I like to ask people that are the masters of their, of their craft. If you were to put together a Mount Rushmore of distillers, who would you put on it? So I'm going to disappoint you because... um, No disappointment. There is no wrong answer. I'm going to put all of our distillers on it. Perfect. Nothing wrong with that answer whatsoever. I think our distillers are all uniquely, incredibly creative. Um, They all kind of, they have their own spin on things. Um, They've all been equally impactful uh, and Grant is just, you know, he's, he just loves every single one of them so much. <clears throat> and we, and Grant and I are both like even Grant way more so than me, but we're both very much blinders guys. Like we love to have our blinders on. Okay. And, Explain that a little bit. We just don't really get into what other people are doing in the industry. Gotcha. 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 Um, just doesn't, you know, no, that makes perfect sense. We don't really get inspired by what is happening around us. We really like to just, you know, inspire ourselves. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the two of you finding each other is a huge part of the success. And I I throw rich in on that as well. I I think you guys have triangulated to create a, a cohesive vision and and it's rare when just talking to somebody you can tell that they're on the same page with somebody else but that's what it that's what it seems like from outside looking in so they're a really special group man um i think you know there's a lot of people on our team that have had a large impact on our success i think uh creatively i think grant rich and myself together uh, uh make just you know a team that I couldn't, I couldn't have made up. Uh, we're, we're similar in age, but we come from, you know, fairly different walks of life and we don't all share the same opinion on politics and religion. Uh, and, but when we get together and we brainstorm, it is like poetry in motion. It's awesome. That's the way it should be. We will, uh, I was going to say we would put a bottle of whiskey in an unupholstered couch, but that would just make a mess. Uh, it sounds <laughs> good. It sounds like it, though. It does sound like you guys uh, have just figured out 
And you know, when you're brainstorming with somebody, if they're going to be fun to brainstorm with, or if they're not, you know, that as a creative almost immediately, because the good brainstormers are people that get excited at a good idea and don't shit on it just to shit on it. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 over the, uh, over the years, man, I I was actually just having a conversation before I jumped on this about with someone about, um, I was watching Ford versus Ferrari the other night and how good is that movie? That's a great movie. Holy God. And, you feel when, good after and, that movie. Yeah. And when Ford walks in and he says, shut it down. And he goes, you hear that? That's the Ford Motor Company going out of business. <laughs> and he tells the story about how his dad is walking, you know, home and has an idea. And he tells everybody there at the plant, I want you all to walk home and bring me any idea you have. And for everybody that doesn't have an idea, don't bother showing up tomorrow for work. <clears throat> that really spoke to me. Um, not that I would tell people not to show up for work if they don't have an idea, but it spoke to me uh, because, um, you know, I, there, there are a million great ideas and executing is absolutely the hardest part, but I, I never want to be the guy with the, with the you know, brightest and best idea in the room. Well, I also never want to be the guy with no ideas. Like right. I think that is, that is a terrifying um, of all the ideas that you have, of course, you don't act on all of them, but you owe it to yourself when an idea has merit to not tone yourself out either. Right. Yeah. And you got to have somebody really good, I think, to bounce that idea off of. Agreed. And, and that's where I think Grant and Rich are the best. Uh, I, can, I can take an idea to them. And I know they will make my idea better. They can take an idea to me and I'm confident that I can make help make their idea better. And I think that's where the beauty is. And that's key to partnership. Um, I've been very fortunate that uh, my wife and I, our first date was um, a comedy show where she not knowing me at all. Like, this is the first date. We knew each other as well as you knew each other on a first date. And she goes, you should try out for this. And and I did, you, you know, like it's one of those stories where uh, I and then I got it. And then she's never known me not doing it. So uh, it's important to have those people in your life where you can be like, hey, what about insert crazy thing? And And they can go. And honestly, like if, if, if the, do your folks, if the, if it's not a good idea are, are comfortable enough with one another to say, I don't see it. I, I, I don't think, I, mean, I don't want to say that it won't work, but you're going to have to sell me a little harder on why it will. And by folks, you mean like Rich and Grant? Yeah. 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 I'm using oh, them as yeah. your creative, <laughs> uh, your creative uh, brain yeah. trust. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, <clears throat> even though we all, you know, we, um, we spend all of our time together at work. We also are all, we're also very separated at the same time. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, but we never, we don't, we, we don't, we just don't miss a beat when it comes to, I mean, it's pure, it's pure trust. And And that's what you have to have. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. And we have, I mean, that, and that's, that has been a huge recipe for our success is that trust, transparency, trust, honesty, creativity, and, um, you know, just being real with, real with each other. There is no better place to end this conversation than with that sentiment right there. That that's 
perfect. I think that sums up why you guys have been so successful as well as creating a delicious whiskey. Uh, I want to thank you, Tim, for being on today. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I want to do this again. And uh, as soon as we're off, I've got a couple more bands I want to talk to you about. All right. Perfect. I appreciate it, Jesse. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and again, Chattanooga whiskey, go find them. They're, you knew, If you're a whiskey drinker, you need to do yourself the service of finding this beautifully malted whiskey and, and buying... I would say buy all three because with the 91, you're going to get an introduction to who they are. And then with the rye and the 111, it's just going to kick the door down for you. So go to where can they find you? Like where can they go online if they're if you're not distributing in their area? Where can they go online to find where you're You go to go to our website. Go to ChattanoogaWhiskey.com, and uh, you can you can find our online uh, you know our online channel. That's called Sealbox through our website, and uh, and find out if they ship to your state or not through that. Um, otherwise, we distribute in Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Illinois, Ohio, and Kentucky. Perfect. I only have to go to the South Carolina border to get me another bottle because I can tell there you, you these are not going to last that long. <clears throat> I've got the whole team coming over tonight. They were, um, when I said at the top that somebody demanded that I reach out to you, that is 100% true. Uh, Brian, a member of the team, he uh, had the whiskey and he is, his palate's better than mine. His, he can just taste things that just, uh, uh, you know, you got to understand your team, everybody brings something to the table. And when he was like Chattanooga, I was like, Hmm, he's like, no Chattanooga. Like, I don't, I'm not even going to explain it. That's a thing that we're doing. And I was like, fair enough. Let's make it happen. I've trusted you before and you've never led me wrong. And he was not wrong. It is a very, very good juice, sir. Awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And thank you for uh, coming on. I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Likewise. All right. Take care. There you have it, everybody. That is today's show. I want to thank Tim Pearson from Chattanooga Whiskey for coming on the program, for sitting with me as long as he did, talking whiskey, talking music, talking everything. He was just such a great guest, and we appreciate his time. Stick around. We've got... We kept rolling after the episode, so if you've stuck with us this long, there's a little blurb at the very end. It's not that long. Consider it your Marvel mid-credit scene audio clip. After we got done, him and I kept bullshitting about music, and it really was. It was so much fun, and uh, I think that's where we go from here. I think the next episode, it's just him and I talking music. We bring in other people. We bring in Rich, his creative director. Maybe we get Dad's drinking bourbon involved and we just all sit around and shoot the musical shit and see where the bourbon takes us my name is jesse jones we thank you guys for tuning in find us on itunes find us on spotify find us everywhere that podcasts live find us on instagram like us there leave us a leave us a comment leave us a review leave us whatever you want to leave us let us know what we're doing right let us know what we're doing wrong we're doing this for you guys because it's just so much fun to do thank everybody for tuning in every week and we'll be back next week with the wonderful 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 people from koval It's going to be a good time. We'll see you then. My name's Jesse Jones. This is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
Okay, Cake and Danzig. Cake and Danzig?